the Book of Judges, a dark time in Israel's history, a pattern of failure, failure to follow God's law, failure to train up the next generation, failure to remember and celebrate God's faithfulness. We may be tempted to see the judges as heroes of the faith. However, the only hero of this story is God himself. The people of God chose the pleasures of sin over the promises of God. And the story of Judges is our story as well. In a desperately wicked and fallen world, the book of Judges reveals both the disgrace of sin and the deliverance only God can provide. Well, if you haven't guessed, uh, today we're discussing one of the most famous judges of all time and perhaps one of the most famous biblical characters of all time. Maybe it's something about the, the long hair that the ladies dig. Maybe it's the detailed creative ways that Samson had to defeat the Philistines, whatever it was. Samson has intrigued generations of people. Samson was known for his strength before men, but he was also known, known for his weakness before women. Samson was a man empowered by the very Spirit of God, but also a man driven by his fleshly desires. Samson was a man called to declare war on the Philistines, but ended up being distracted by them instead. Samson was unpredictable, unreliable, and at certain times even unstable, but that's why I love these chapters. Because Judges chapter 13 and 14 give us an amazingly clear portrait of the disgrace that comes with sin and the deliverance that can come with God. I want to show you, if you will, join me in the book of Judges, chapter 13. Judges, chapter 13, where we will begin with a very familiar phrase. Judges, chapter 13, starting in verse 1, it says this, Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. And again, we're... As people that are familiar with the story, we tend to just gloss over that. And I want to make sure, because of familiarity, that you don't. Chapter 13 is, again, supposed to have you roll your eyes and just say, not again. Now, the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Let me just remind you what that phrase means. It means while they know God's looking at them, they're looking him straight in the eye and performing wickedness and idolatry, knowing that God's watching them, completely unafraid of his response. It's an act of defiance and rebellion. They did it right before his eyes. And they did it again. And that's what should get us. I mean, again, how many times was God going to put up with this? How many times they were enslaved in Egypt and God through miraculous work saves them and gives them his covenant that they will be his people and he will be their God. And their response, 
Worship a golden cow. God renews their covenant with them. And even adds detail. If you're faithful to me, when you go in the promised land, everyone will know the the love of a family. Everyone will have success. You will never experience defeat. There will be no grave illness. Man, if you'll just be faithful to me. And the people said, yes, we will. They didn't even make it one generation. So every time God continues to revive them, renew them, he sends Ehud, Gideon, Deborah. He even uses wackadoodles like Jephthah. And each and every time, again, after God rescues them and saves them, They did evil in the sight of the Lord in front of his very eyes. They don't care. If you're like me, it brings a question, man, how long? How long will God do this? At what point will God say, I'm done? I quit and no one would blame him. If you read through Judges, no one would blame God for walking away. But that's what makes God so amazing. See, after they did evil in the sight of the Lord again, the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines, a strong and warlike people, for 40 years. It's the greatest judgment they've ever experienced up to this time. 40 years of oppression by the Philistines. just at the worst time of their history, when you begin to think, maybe God's about to let go. Maybe God's about to quit. Maybe God's about to abandon. This is what happens. See, it's in this setting where they're in the worst judgment they've experienced so far, they get an unexpected visit from God. Look what it says, verse two. After they set the scene, the scene of all this judgment Now there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had borne no children. And I just want to stop there for a minute because if you've gone through the book of Judges with me so far, when you start seeing someone's nameless wife in the text, it should pique your interest. And that sounds like something God's going to use. I mean, he just seems to love, I'm telling you, he loves to use the weak, the powerless people who are beyond hope. Those are the people he seems to use. In this time of judgment, we're in the midst of the worst judgment ever they've experienced. There's this guy with his wife, no name, by the way. And she's barren. She has no children and no hopes of children. She has no hope for the future, no hope for someone to care for her. She has no blessing in this life. And worse yet, people assume that God has cursed her. It's that setting where we read verse 3. Then the angel of the Lord, again underline that, because we understand that to be the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. I went over that in week 4. In the days of Gideon, you can go back and look for more of why 
Most understand that to be the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. But listen, this is the presence of God right there in the midst of their greatest judgment. There's this barren woman assuming that she's judged, she's cursed, she's hopeless, she's doomed. That's the one the presence of God comes to. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman, said to her, Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. And here's this woman thinking that she's been abandoned by God. She thinks she's done. She thinks she's cursed. And we, here's why I believe she thinks that's because the angel of the Lord used that word behold. Surprise, here I am. That term behold, surprise, you're not expecting this. Surprise, don't miss this. This is something that's happening that you're not expecting. See, this woman thought, I'm done, I'm cursed. I don't know what I did. God has abandoned us. We're under the judgment of the Philistines. I have no hope for the future, I'm done. And I wonder how many of you have felt that. Maybe you feel that today. You know what, Brian, I'm out. I look at my life. I think God's abandoned me because of the sins of someone else or because of the sins of my own heart. I look around and some of you are struggling with disease. Some of you are going through marital strife. Some of you are going through divisive family moments. Some of you are worried about culture and what's happening to the world. And no one would blame God if he walked away. I, believe, I don't believe mankind has been faithful with all that God has given us. I don't think that we've measured up. And no one would blame God if he walked away. I wonder, where do you need the presence of God this morning? See, I believe maybe God has a message for you much like he has for this nameless woman. Behold, there's this unexpected visit. First thing this presence of God brings, there's an unexpected visit with a promise. Said, I know things look bleak, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Verse four, now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Verse five, for behold, here it goes, surprise again. You shall conceive and give birth to a son and no razor shall come upon his head for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Man, what a promise. In the midst of their judgment, worst judgment ever, they've done evil in the sight of the Lord again where people are beginning to wonder God has abandoned them. This barren woman thinks that God has cursed her. God shows up to her and brings a promise. Not only am I going to do something powerful in you, but I'm going to use this guy to free you. The angel of the Lord describes him and says he'll be a Nazarite. For those of you who are unfamiliar with what that is, I want to show you. Put your thumb in Judges and flip over to the book of Numbers, chapter 6. Numbers is the fourth book of the Old Testament. Numbers, chapter 6. Just keep flipping to the left. 
Numbers chapter 6, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. If you're in Deuteronomy, just keep flipping. It's a big book. Numbers chapter 6. Listen to the words of the Lord. Numbers chapter 6. God says this. Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when a man or woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite. What's a Nazarite? To dedicate himself to the Lord. To set himself or herself apart as an instrument of God. Hey God, I'm going to set myself, I am fully and wholly 100% focused on being your instrument. Verse 3, he shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink, nor shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh or dried grapes. All the days of his separation he shall not eat anything that is produced by the grapevine, from the seeds even to the skin. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall pass over his head. He shall be holy until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall let the lock of his hair on his head grow long. Verse 6, all the days of his separation to the Lord, he shall not go near to a dead person. In the Hebrew, dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother or even his sister when they die, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy, set apart, dedicated to the Lord. Go back to Judges. This barren woman in the midst of the harshest judgment yet of God believing that God has judged her, abandoned them, the presence of God shows up and says, wait, surprise, I have not left you. I'm going to deliver you. And I'm going to give you a child. He's going to be set apart from my work. He's going to be set apart from my, as an instrument of me. As a Nazarite, just to make sure we're clear, this will come up later. There's a couple commitments you make. First, you have to stay away from all fermented drinks, grapes, and raisins. I'm pretty confident many of us would not struggle with the raisins. Fermented drink and grapes, I'm just going to let that, leave that to you. Second, you can't shave your head while you're dedicated to the service of the Lord. No shaving, no cutting. Third, you cannot be around any dead bodies, person, or animals. So when came, received a message from God, I'm going to bless you with a son. I'm going to deliver you. But this son won't be about you. The son's going to be about me. Let's keep going. Verse 6, then the woman came and told her husband, saying, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. Love that. I think an angel talked to me. How cool. He's a real lady. Like, I like that. And I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. Did you ask where he came from? Well, he's an angel of God, so I assumed, right? That's what she's saying. Very down-to-earth lady. I think I'd like her. He said to me, behold, surprise, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and now you shall not drink wine or strong drink nor eat any unclean thing, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God, an instrument of God from the womb to the day of his death. Love the guy's response. Look at this. She tells her husband this. Her husband, verse 8, then Manoah entreated the Lord, begged the Lord, 
He hears that his barren wife in the midst of the most judgment time, time of judgment, is going to conceive miraculously. This husband goes, oh Lord, oh Lord, please let the man of God whom we have sent come to us again, that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. Hit pause. Any parent ever make a prayer similar to that? Man, I remember when my first son was born. Rocked my world. Oh, God, please. My oldest son now is 23, and I'm still praying that prayer. God, please. Teach me. How do I foster and build the spirit you've put in his heart? How do I teach him to control it, not be driven by it? How do I teach him to be respectful of his mom and his future wife, but still strong in the midst of failure and brokenness in this culture? God, how do I do it when I don't even know if I'm doing it myself perfectly? Man, it's such a powerful prayer, and I was sitting here thinking, man, if you are a parent or a grandparent, who's sitting here regardless of the stage of your child or grandchildren saying, God, give me wisdom. I want you to know, number one, you're not alone. People have been praying that since the days of Scripture. And God's been responding since the days of Scripture. Now, I'm not claiming to be an angel or anything close, but I do want to tell you there's four things If you're praying this prayer saying, God, please help me, I believe God has answered your prayer. There's four things. As an elder board, we, we brought Pastor Ken in for this very purpose. To inspire, to remind, to equip, to empower parents and grandparents. To raise their children to be instruments of God. They can cut their hair if they want. They can eat raisins but we do want them to follow the Lord. Here's four things that we've been working on that I just want to give you a sneak peek to. If you're praying, God, please help me. March 20th, we're launching our family framework, something that Pastor Ken's been working on since he came here. A detailed strategy and plan on how we as a church are going to be partnering with you as parents and grandparents, equipping you, inspiring you, partnering with you, and raising your children and grandchildren in the knowledge and fear of the Lord. April 10th, Sunday starting April 10th, we're going to have Sticky Faith, five-week parenting and grandparenting class. Pastor Ken will teach. How do you not only help your kids understand who Jesus is, but what can you do to help them grab onto him for for themselves? How can you have their faith stick in their lives? June 12th through 18th, Forest Home Family Camp. Man, you're looking for a spot uh, this is going to be kind of pricey, so grandparents, this may be on you. What an opportunity. Five days to bring all the generations of your family together in camp. Growing in the same aspect of faith together. As a family, you can join Pastor Joy and his wife, Ken. They're going to be hosting a time June 12th through June 18th. Great opportunity for you to grab everyone together at Forest Home family camp. I know the speakers are going to be fantastic. Last September 17th, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., we're going to have a purposeful parenting conference. Pastor Ken has brought nationally recognized speakers here, internationally recognized actually, 
And we'll be here dealing with aspects of how do you address sexuality with your children and grandchildren. What do you do about technology? Man, I don't even know what to do with technology. What, how do I shepherd my children in this? And he's going to come with practical steps for you to take to help equip your teens and your kids and your grandkids with technology. And then someone else is going to come again. What are steps we can take to give our kids the best chance of not only seeing Jesus, but holding, holding on to him for themselves? We've got to get back to the text, but I just wanted to make mention of that. Man, if you feel like Manoah, God, please help me. Help's on the way. Starting in March. Let's get back to the text. Manoah prays. Love verse 9. God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God again came to the woman as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Surprise! The man who came the other day has appeared to me. Manoah rose, followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said to him, I love this, Are you the man who spoke to, who spoke to the woman? Hey, are you the same guy? Yep. And remember that great prayer that Manoah prayed? God, please help me. Well, it turns out, he had an ulterior motive. Look at what he said, verse 12. Manoah said, now when your words came to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? Here's another word. I know you told my wife he's going to be an instrument of God, but I want to know, is he going to be a painter, a plumber, a lawyer, maybe, a doctor, a business owner? Manoah's interested, hey, I'm wanting a son. I need a son. I need someone who's going to care for me. I want someone that I can lift up and be proud of. I know you told my wife he was going to be an instrument of God, a minister of God, but I'm hoping he can be a minister kind of part-time and a plumber full-time. Man, can I ask you if you ever pray, God, help me raise my children. You do what he says. Angel, again, we kind of start staying it back. Okay, angel Lord can smoke this guy anytime. Instead, look what he says. Angel Lord said to Manoah, let the woman pay attention to all that I said. I already told you what his vocation is. He's a minister of God. He's an instrument of God. That's what he's going to do. He's mine. You raise him for me, but he's mine. Verse 14, she should not eat anything that comes from vine, nor drink wine, or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded. Look, I told her already. I'm not going into this with you. Samson's mine. Presence of the Lord came with a promise, but he also came with God's mercy. Just when we're waiting for the glory of God to rise up and judge him, look what happens. Verse 15, then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you so that we may prepare a young goat for you. Angel of the Lord said to Manoah, though you detain me, I will not eat your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. 
Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what's your name? So that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. The angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Verse 19, so Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering, offered it on the rock to the Lord. He performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar towards heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended into the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Can you imagine? Manoah was just questioning the plan for the guy that can judge the thoughts and intentions of every man's heart. Manoah, hey, can you send that guy back here? God, I want to talk to him. I want to be a great dad. Actually, what he wanted to do was to try to spin it. Hey, I don't know if I wanted to be a minister. I want to have a real job. All of a sudden, he recognizes, oh, no. That was God. They fell on their face. The angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah knew that he was with the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, we're dead. Love that. Oh, my gosh, he saw us at our worst. We're doomed. Again, I like this woman. His wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted our burnt offering and great offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all the things, nor would he have let us hear these things. If he wanted us dead, we'd be dead. We experienced different than what we expected. Oh my gosh, we are interacting with God at our worst. And God didn't judge us. God had mercy on us. He received our offering. He gave us a a picture of what he's about to do. Man, read that point. My first question came to mind is, where do you need the presence of God in your life? Like I said, I wonder if some of you are Maybe assume that God has abandoned you, that God has left you, that God is judging you, that God is finished with you. Maybe you're here hoping for some semblance of grace and mercy. Where do you need the presence of God in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your culture? My advice to you is I don't think God has left you. I think God is already here with you. Open your eyes. Lift your chin. Receive the mercy of God. See, the Bible tells us that this isn't just unique to this. While the people were in slavery to Egypt, God showed up. Where the people were in sin and judges, God showed up. In the midst of the madness and the fiery furnace were three, three young men who just didn't want to bow to idolatry. When they were there in the midst of the fiery furnace, angel of the Lord, presence of Jesus was there. The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Man, he's, he's not waiting for your perfection. He's waiting for your submission. And Jesus even promised his disciples, knowing that they were going to fail throughout, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
So if there's someone out here online thinking, man, I need the presence of God, you have it. Perhaps you just need to acknowledge it and accept it. The mercy of God is available to you just as was available to them. Continue on the story. It ends this way, verse 24. The woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. The child grew up and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. We finish chapter 13 like, all right, like all the drama is over. God's going to do a work. He found a nameless woman who was buried. He surprised her. We're going to do this thing. Everyone seems to be good. The people are bowing down before the Lord. They recognize his presence. The spirit of the Lord's working in this guy. Finally, if you haven't read through Judges before, you begin to think this is going to be a book of the Bible in the Old Testament with a happy ending. There aren't many in the Old Testament. That's what gets us to chapter 14. I just want to go through it quickly because I want to show you two things. See, after we go through the aspect of this surprise visit, we get a very familiar result. See, just when you begin to think, maybe there's hope. We read this, verse 14. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, go get her for me as a wife. His father and his mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all your people that you would go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, go get her. She looks good to me. So Samson is supposed to be declaring war against the Philistines. God's been stirring in him, equipped him. God called him, deliver your people from the Philistines. Instead, he's like, hey, mom, dad, I found this great Philistine girl. Go get her for me. A, strictly forbidden, against the law of God, not supposed to do that. Why? You remember? They're going to lead you astray. They're going to mess with your head. But we begin to think, well, Brian, but maybe she's one of these special ones, right? Like Ruth, Rahab, maybe she's a foreigner, but she has a real heart to follow the Lord. But the text tells us why Samson likes her. She looks good to me. Man, mom, dad, she's hot. Go get her. You begin to worry about Samson. But then we read verse 4. Look what it says. It says, however, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now, at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. So just when you think Samson's breaking the law, then we get verse 4, like, wait, time out. What? See, what this says is that God's going to be able to use Samson's disobedience for his glory. God's in control. God's got this. God's not surprised. And you might, it might struggle with it and say, well, Brian, isn't that entrapment? Like God's saying, don't do that. But then leading me to do that, like that's not fair. Let me remind you of something God said at the beginning of Judges. Judges 3. Remember God said, take all the people out. I want you to kick them all out of the promised land. And they didn't. 
So God said, fine, I'm going to leave them there. I'm going to leave these people here. Why? They were for testing Israel to find out if they would obey the commandments of the Lord which he had commanded their fathers through Moses. This is a test. Samson, I've given you all of this. Early on, Samson was distracted. Failed the test. Let's look at some of the failures of Samson. See, that's not just the only one. Verse 5. Then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, surprise, a young lion came roaring towards him. Verse 6, the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so he tore him as one tears a young goat through, and he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Number one. Failure number one. Did you see it? Samson is in the vineyard, alone, by himself. Why do you think? Sneaking some grapes, some raisins. He's not supposed to. He's sneaking off on his own. Right? Didn't tell his parents. Failure number one. Breaking his vow. Look at verse seven. So he went down and talked to the woman, and she looked good to Samson. When he returned later to take her, he turned aside and looked at the carcass of the lamb. Now he's lying, and he's coming back. Behold, surprise, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hands and went on eating as he went. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they ate it. He did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. Failure number two. Don't come in contact with a dead body, person or otherwise. Remember what he told Samson's mom. Don't, don't defile yourself. Don't eat anything unclean. Something out of a lion counts as unclean. Verse 10. Then his father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there, for the young men customarily did this. When they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Most people leave number three. Customarily, there would be alcohol at this wedding. Most believe that Samson was involved in that. If he was, that'd be failure number three. Verse 12, then Samson said to them, let me now propound a riddle to you. If you will indeed tell it to me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. But if you are unable to tell me, then you shall give me 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. Doesn't sound like a lot, it is. And they said to him, propound your your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet, but they could not tell the riddle in three days. Hit pause. Failure number four. God is using, or Samson is using his disobedience as a riddle, like he's making light of it. It doesn't even matter to him. It doesn't even bother him. I know I'm Samson. I'm a Nazarite. I'm an instrument of God. I'm going to marry this woman God told me not to. I'm going to sneak over here and eat raisins or grapes that I was told not to. I'm going to touch this lion and eat out the honey, even though I was told not to. And now I'm going to make a joke about it with all of my friends and try to make a living on it. I mean, you got to understand, Samson's a wreck. Then it came about on the fourth day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband so that he may tell us the riddle. Or we will burn you and your father's house with fire. 
Have you invited us to impoverish us? If this, is this not so? Samson's wife wept before him. You only hate me. You do not love me. You have propounded a riddle to the sons of my people and, and have not told it to me. And he said, behold, I have not told it to my father or mother. So should I tell you? However, she wept before him seven days while they fe their feast lasted. That's a long time. On the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him so hard. She then told the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city went to him on the seventh day before the sun went down. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? He said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Now, lest you think that that's super mean what he's saying with if you had not plowed my heifer, it means if you haven't, if you haven't uh, misused her. If you hadn't used her when you weren't supposed to, there was nothing sexual there. Verse 19, then the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily and he went to Ashkelon, killed 30 of them, took their spoil, gave the changes of clothes to those who told the riddle and his anger burned and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his friend. Final failure. Samson's weakness before women his anger took over. He's impulsive. He was rash, a little unstable. What began so great at the end of chapter 13 is crashing so hard at the end of 14. But there's one final thing I want you to see in this chapter. It's not just about the failures of Samson, but the faithfulness of God. In the midst of all of his brokenness, in the midst of all of his failures, I want you to see the movement of God. Let's go back to verse 6. Remember Samson sneaking into the vineyard to sneak grapes and raisins that he wasn't supposed to? A young lion comes. Young lion isn't like Simba when he's a cub. That's not what it's talking about. It's mean he's not an old lion. Like this lion can move, right? This is a fierce animal. Look at verse six. Right there in the midst of his sin, the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. A term came upon him mightily. A term means to rush mightily, to cut through barriers, to enter powerfully. Most believe Samson wasn't strong all the time. He didn't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the day. He was more than likely an ordinary dude. But the power of God rushed upon him in specific instances to give him miraculous power. Right there in the midst of his sin, right there in the midst of his struggle, God moved. You think, ah, Brian, maybe that's a fluke. Really? Let's look at verse 19. He gets angry. He's got to come up with 30 linens and 30 changes of clothing. Where does he do that? He goes way down south, looks for another Philistine city, Ashkelon. Look at verse 19. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. Same thing. Right there, in the midst of his brokenness, in the midst of his, his absurdity, his instability, God moved. And we struggle with that. We say, oh, why would God use a broken man? 
Isn't that what he does? Man, why would God do something with Samson right there in the midst of his darkness? I was reading this one commentary, really liked this statement. The author said this, being used by God does not always equate being right with God. Being used by God doesn't always equate being right with God. Remember Matthew 7, Jesus says there's going to be lots of people who come in and say, Lord, Lord, let me in. He says, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. They're like, what? We've done all this stuff in your name, works of power in your name. Jesus says, I'm going to say, well, sorry, thanks for that, but I don't know you, depart from me. Child of wickedness. Just because you're used by God doesn't make you right with God. Make no mistake, there'd be no story of Samson. There'd be no deliverance of God's people if there is no faithfulness and mercy of God. Man, a hidden gem in all of this, in the midst of this mess, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the sin, in the midst of the rebellion, in the midst of that they did evil in the sight of the Lord again. God's presence was there, his mercy was there, and his power was there. My question for you, do you think that was just in Judges or do you think it's still possible today? I do not believe the message of this text is for us to be faithless people of God like Samson was and just count on the power of God rescuing us. But it is to help us recognize that we have an opportunity to be used by God for his glory. Even in the brokenness of your life, the struggle of your home, the kookiness of your culture. God can still do a work. God will get it done with us or without us. But I, wanna, I just want to tell you, you don't want to miss it. That's what King David said, another blessed man, another broken man used by God. Like he said, Psalm 32, 9 and 10, he gives a warning to his people. He says, do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come to you. Look, you want to be treated like a horse? God will do it. Kick you in the gut with, your sp- with his spurs, lead you with the reins. Sure, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord Loving kindness shall surround him. Man's God's going to do his thing. The opportunity you have. Will you allow him to be a part of it in your life and through your life? Samson isn't a story of a great man. This isn't a story of a great man. I was talking to someone else. Someone said, yeah, Samson's a legend. No, he's not. God is. God's the legend. Samson's nothing without God. Israel would have perished under the oppression of the Philistines without God. CBCC would have been rubble by now if not for the Lord. My family would have been garbage if not for the Lord. Samson is not the legend in this text.
God is. Here's what I wrote at the end. Don't be like Samson. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. And sadly, we're going to get to those next week. Where do you need to quit being like Samson and strive for the faithfulness of the Lord? You have been gifted. You have been blessed. The presence of the Lord has shown up in your life. Where do you need to stop being distracted? Where do you need to quit being defiant? And where is it time for you as an individual and us as a church to allow God to do what he has called us to do? To be and make disciples of Christ in this kooky culture. Let's pray. Father, again, we come before you as a church grateful. Grateful for your word that cuts to our hearts, opens our eyes to allow us to see you. So God, I pray for our church. God, I pray for us. God, that you protect us from being like Samson, being distracted by this world. God, we confess to you. We know that you have shown yourself to us. We have received your power. We have understood your call. So God, we pray, empower us. Fill us to the fullness of Christ Jesus, God, that we might be bright reflections of your glory. God, heal our homes, even though we think that they're beyond saving. God, please reach our children and grandchildren, even though we wonder if they're beyond saving. God, transform our culture, even though we're told it's beyond saving. God, empower and use us for your glory. Pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.